Owned by the message of an angel, may, by his passion and cross, be brought to the glory of his resurrection, through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening to KATH 910 AM, Frisco, Dallas-Fort Worth. Catholic Radio for your soul in North Texas on the Guadalupe Radio Network. Heard also at grnonline.com and on your smartphone. Live from the KATH 910 AM studios in Las Colinas and broadcasting across North Texas on the Guadalupe Radio Network. This is the Good News Show. And it certainly is. Good afternoon and welcome to the Good News Show here on KTH 910 AM, Guadalupe Radio Network. And uh, what is a really, really, really busy week for us. A lot going on. We'll tell you all about it. And we... uh, are in uh, varying levels of stress about the, the things that are going on. Cecil, a little sleep deprived, and you feel she's feeling the stress. I but am. A lot, a lot has landed in your uh, capable hands, though, oh, I okay. will say. Well, thank you. So. I'm glad you added the capable part. <laughs> <laughs> you were going to say it so. landed in my hands. I was like, oh, dear. <laughs> yeah, well, let me tell you about the second half of this show. Uh, we have an in-studio guest and a phone guest. Uh, there is an event. Let me kind of put you on the spot here. So, so have you ever heard of this uh, Lewis Tolkien Society uh, you being a former Protestant yes. and now a Catholic, you're kind of, you know, uh, uh, you know, Lewis, you know, yes. for Lewis in Northern Ireland, he was mm-hmm. a Protestant, a high Anglican. He never converted to the Catholic Church. Tolkien, of course, a Catholic. Well, there's this, uh, Lewis Tolkien Society that puts on this Lewis Tolkien uh, event every year. Have you heard yeah. about this? I've heard about it now. I wasn't exactly sure what the event was, but I knew the society existed because Lewis and Tolkien were great friends um, yeah. of each other. Yeah, they were. And, uh, I, I love both their works. Which is interesting because uh, Lewis being from Northern Ireland, my wife is from Northern yes. Ireland, and uh, Northern Ireland has a little bit of a history of the Catholics and Protestants yes. not liking each other too much. <laughs> Can I give say. a random trivia fact? Okay. Do you know what day that... Um, uh, he died. C.S. Lewis died. I do. You do. Yeah. Let me, let, I, I promise you, I know. But I'm going to defer to uh, William. William. Do you know do you, this? Because it's a very, it's a very important date for some other reason, right? The, yep. the, um, the date when, for what now? When C.S. Lewis so died. C.S. Lewis died. Uh-huh. I, you know, on the same day as another huge historical event. Oh, historical event. Okay. Um, 1963. Yep. Wasn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What? November 22nd. 22nd. Yeah. You know what else happened that day? What it does it did it have something to do with the civil rights movement? No, yeah, that was going kind on. Of, kind of, it, 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 it was political, but it wasn't. Yeah, okay, you go ahead. You ask the question, so I'll let you give the answer. Okay, what? What? what uh, yeah. Oh, it's the same day as JFK was uh, assassinated. I know. Okay. So, yeah. so C.S. Lewis's death was a little bit overshadowed. Kind of got buried. Yeah. <laughs> a little yeah. overshadowed. So, yeah, exact same day as the assassination. Okay. So, uh, anyways, side um, tangent over. <laughs> yeah. It does. So, anyways, uh, we're going to be talking about that in the second half. I have an in-studio guest by the name of Jim Roseman. Uh, Doctor James Patrick is a name that's very synonymous with this event. Dr. Patrick has done a lot of work, and I, I believe he, he may be a convert himself. Uh, Dr. Roseman's coming in studio to talk about this event, uh, which is coming up uh, very, very soon. In fact, it's going to be Friday, November 18th, um, Lewis Tolkien Dinner. Uh, the theme is C.S. Lewis and the Reading of Old Books. Dr. Mm-hmm. Jason Baxter 
who is from Notre Dame University, is going to be on the phone with us. He's going to be their, their guest speaker. And so that's coming up at about 12.35 or so uh, this hour. Between now and then, though, a lot a lot to talk about. So let's get right to it. Uh, William Kirkendall, our, our wonderful intern, is here and uh, having a little bit of problem with our social <laughs> media feeds. So I don't think we're on um, uh, the, yeah, the, no the Facebook no, no video. No Facebook so you're just going to have to remember how we look. For <laughs> I haven't changed a whole lot since yeah. last week. Okay? I struggle no, to not remember at all. how I look. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So uh, one of the reasons this is a very busy week is that Dr. Ray Garendi and his producer, Dick Russ, are flying in tomorrow morning. Uh, to prepare for some tapings this week. Okay, we've been talking about this for, uh, gosh, at least a month now. It, uh, Wednesday and Thursday of this week, there are going to be 5 p.m. and 7 p- 15 p.m. tapings right across the street at the CRM studios. And uh, we have been very blessed to fill up a studio audience of 75 people for every taping. Okay, so Wednesday at 5 and 7.15, two different tapings, and then also Thursday of this week, 5 and 7.15. Sissel has been keeping track of all the lists, so how do we look right now, and can anybody still come to a taping? Uh, they can. We are down to, like, the last 10 or so seats. Yeah. Um, the only tapings that have any possibility of squeezing people in is the two 5 p.m.s. Uh, so the most, particularly the Wednesday at 5 p.m., if you're wanting to go with, like, a slightly larger group, um, we have just about, about I think, about 10 seats there that we mm-hmm. can fill in. But we're kind of over-filling uh, these just to make sure, because, you know, there is a sickness going around, so people oh, are going to yeah. have to cut out, oh, yeah. you know, last minute. And then maybe two seats at the 5 p.m. on Thursday. So if you are able to go to those, those are the very, very last ones uh, that are able to be taken and claimed right now. So you can email us at kth at grnonline.com. And for your scheduling purposes, just know that you have to arrive around 4.15 p.m. Uh, that afternoon, just because we have, we have to go through security, there's a check-in with us, and then getting your seats and getting comfortable. Yeah, so that's going to be this Wednesday, uh, 5 p.m. If you can do either Wednesday or Thursday, do Wednesday, yes. because that, that's the day that we still have some openings, and of course we want to fill all the seats. And uh, So like Cecil said, arrive at about 4 or 4.15, the taping begins at 5 o'clock. We're going to feed you pizza mm-hmm. uh, a- afterwards, and then we'll have the folks coming in, well, one group leaving and one group coming uh, both of those nights as well. The uh, I, I, We won't get into the guests, but there are a lot of great guests that are scheduled on all these. And if you uh, do sign up and email us, kth at grnonline.com, we'll let you know who the guest is and your particular uh, taping. So we also have the opportunity, uh, Dr. Ray is going to be doing his live noon show yes. uh, on Wednesday and Thursday this week, right where I'm sitting, right here. Dr. Ray is going to be here, and we have an opportunity for folks to come and join us and meet Dr. Ray in a much more intimate setting. Yes, absolutely. So if you are unable to make any of those tapings, um, this is a great opportunity. Or even if you can. Or even if you can. Even if you're doing that as well, we would love to see you again or before, I guess you could say, mm-hmm. <laughs> at one of those two days, Wednesday or and after. Thursday. Or after. Oh, my if brain. they come Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> this is two days I have sleep deprived. Don't do this to me. <laughs> the three-hour sleep brain on display My on dog the woke me up when she was not feeling well this morning, so I did not get much sleep. Um, but yes, uh, we will be having the two live shows, and you can come in around 11.30 a.m., and you get to kind of observe. We have some chairs we'll set up outside the studio, or maybe a few people in the studio, depending on what Dr. Ray likes, and 
and uh, you can see what it's like behind the scenes of a radio show like that, that one that airs worldwide. Very popular show of his. Um, we'll be doing that. And we'll also have some light, ref- light refreshments as well. So if you want to come either Wednesday or Thursday, 1130 to 1 roughly is the time period. Uh, email us right now at kath at grnonline.com. This is a very intimate way to be able to meet Dr. Ray because the nights of the tapings, of course, there's going to be potentially uh, at some points up to 150 people mm-hmm. in that facility. And uh, you may not have that chance to get to talk to Dr. Ray. So this is a really cool, unique opportunity. So if you want to join us, email us. All right, kth at grnonline.com, kth at grnonline.com. And so uh, just to kind of summarize, if you want to come to the 5 o'clock TV taping uh, on Wednesday of this week and arrive about 45 minutes early across the street at the CRM Studios in Las Colinas, uh, just email and let us know how many people are coming. You can bring a, a party of up to five people. And we've got only about 10 seats remaining. And then the radio show on Wednesday and Thursday during the noon hour, if you want to come at 1130 or so and have a little uh, bite to eat with us and then meet Dr. Ray and his producer. And then you can watch Dr. Ray, you know, live and in person, uh, probably from where, uh, you know, Cicel or Diane is across and then the other side of the glass or come in studio. But it'll, it'll be a lot of fun. So let us know if you want to do that as well. All right. So that's that. And it's going to be an exciting week. And we hope you'll participate and join us for that. Another thing I want to talk about is that we have some parish talks this weekend scheduled. I sent out an email to a bunch of, I mean, called a lot of parishes, and I said, when can we come out? And for some reason, they all wanted us to come out this weekend. So if you were at St. Anthony Parish in Dallas, uh, St. Mary the Assumption in Fort Worth, St. Anne in Burleson, uh, no, I'm sorry, Kaufman, St. Anne Kaufman. Kaufman, or Southern Methodist University, uh, there in Dallas, uh, we are going to be at all your masses uh, this weekend, uh, with the exception of St. Anne Kaufman, the Saturday mass we will not be at. Uh, but I'll part, be at the 9 a.m. But uh, Cecil is going to take the long track out to Kaufman. <laughs> And uh, this is going to be a busy weekend following a busy week, yes. And between those two events, I think you forgot about the other busy thing that we're doing on Saturday morning. We have an ambassador kickoff meeting. Yes. We have our uh, new old program, (laughs) a revamping of an old program, the Radio Ambassadors. We're having kind of an informational session. It's no strings attached. You don't automatically get signed up to be an ambassador or a parish representative. But if you want to learn about uh, ways that we're going to be getting the good news of Catholic radio out to all of the parishes in the Fort Worth and Dallas Diocese, come to the informational session that this weekend, it's on Saturday from 9 to 10.30 a.m. There will be breakfast, and Manny and I are going to be leading the meeting and just kind of introducing this idea, and uh, you can learn a little bit more if you love Catholic Radio and want to help spread the word. There's a lot of people in North Texas who don't know that there's a, an EWTN affiliate here, so... Please uh, come out, email me, or I guess email kth at grnonline.com for that as well. My my name is a little bit difficult, so I've given mm-hmm. up on giving my own email. Yeah, and you pronounce it Cicel. Cicel. Okay. Or, yeah, well. yeah, yeah, or something like that. Yeah, something like that. All right, so that's this uh, Saturday morning beginning at... 9 a.m. 9 a.m. It's an hour and a half meeting. We'll get you in and out. Yeah, and just come and, if nothing else, just learn what the program's about. Get a tour uh, of the studio, uh, uh, eat breakfast. And it's the last chance to get a tour of the studio yes. because... Uh, 
uh, we're going to be moving out of here within the next couple of months. And so uh, if you get, come here for the meeting, don't get too attached to the building, okay? Because <laughs> uh, the building is gonna be it's going, gonna be gone. <laughs> going up in smoke here before too long, up in dust or whatever you want to say. So, okay, that's that. Uh, wanna, um, I know uh, William's got a couple of events he's going to tell us about here in just a moment, but I there's a chance that we may be broadcasting live this weekend as if we don't have enough uh, to do because Porter's Army Navy is having their Unite for the Troops event. Cindy Porter was on with us last week to talk about this. I believe it starts at 10 a.m. It goes to 4, and this is a great opportunity to uh, have some fun, bring the family, lots of things to do, music and entertainment and a lot of different activities. And also you can bring things to... Um, support the troops overseas, you know, things that uh, they will send these care packages over to them. You can go to portersarmynavy.com, and I think there might be a Unite for Troops website as well. I don't remember what that website is, but uh, please uh, consider joining us. And I think we may be doing a live broadcast at like noon to one. Uh, We're still kind of working out all the details on that. And so that's going to be this Saturday as well, because... We just don't have enough to do that day, and I wanted to add one more thing, but you don't have to be involved in it, Cecil. Oh, good. I, <laughs> <laughs> I was, I'm hoping everyone, they're probably sitting there like, I need a whole, a whole notepad to I write know. down everything you all have just been saying. But we, basically, when in doubt, email KTH at 9, 10 a.m. All right. At, at grnonline.com. Oh, my God. <laughs> Stop speaking now. All I need right. to go back to bed. <laughs> Moving on to somebody who had a little more sleep uh, last night. William, uh, what else is going on? Yes, I did have more sleep last night. Um, <laughs> so the... Um, the first event we have is, um, let's see, Prince of Peace Catholic Church in Dal- in uh, Plano will be having their admissions open house. Families have the opportunity to meet administrators, tour the campus, and learn about and learn about the admissions process. And for more information on that, you can go to popschool.net. And the one other quick event I have is the St. Andrew's Dinner on November uh, November 10th, that is this Thursday at 6 p.m. at Holy Trinity Seminary in Irving. Uh, this is for uh, high school men or older who would like to explore more about the priesthood. And again, it will begin at uh, 6 p.m. with the Eucharistic Holy Hour, followed by a short program and dinner with uh, Bishop Edward Burns. And for more information on that, you can go to dallasvocations.org slash St. Andrew's Dinner. All right. And uh, since we have filled up our Thursday evening, uh, and we've been promoting this anyways, but Good Shepherd Parish has Trent Horn coming in this yes, Thursday yes. as well. Yes, I announced that a couple weeks ago, uh, I think. Yeah, so we got that one going on. And that's, uh, you know, Trent Horn's a pretty big name. So yeah. that that's another event you can, you can think about as well. All mm-hmm. right, William, thank you so much. Yes, no problem. All right, we want to spend some time now talking about a premiere of a movie slash TV show that's coming up next week. I think it's Friday is the premiere of The Chosen uh, they're gonna they're gonna show the first two episodes of season three on the big screen, okay? And they have been really good about reaching out to us and inviting us to events. In fact, I'm flying out uh, to Atlanta next Tuesday to go to the uh, red carpet for this. I'm very excited about that. Thistle went to the dedication at their new their new land their new property out in. Uh, Weatherford? Midlothian. Uh, Midlothian, Midlothian. that's right. Uh, So uh, anyways, we had a chance to go out to Midlothian, uh, gosh, in August, a couple months ago, and interview some of the actors who play the parts of, you know, the, the apostles and uh, different uh, uh, characters, and so, so, so you've kind of put all this together. So why don't you kind of roll with this and sure. and introduce these different interviews that we did? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to uh, play just a one answer to one question of these like five to six minute long interviews that we.
we did. They'll all be on our YouTube channel in the next couple of weeks that you can see them. So if you're not already subscribed to grnonline.com on YouTube, but go ahead and do that so you can catch the full interviews. But I wanted to start with the two writers, Dave, that you got to interview. Um, their names are uh, Ryan Swanson and Tyler Thompson. And uh, this kind of rhymes. It's quite fun. I'm pretty sure this is Ryan that answers the question. And you asked them the theme of season three and i thought that was a good place to start kind of talking about what everyone can expect from season three so this is what ryan had to say about that well i can tell you what this the theme of season three is is uh come unto me um jesus is moving his ministry into from from his jewish congregation into the world and so he's being he's introduced to gentiles and his message is um causing a stir creating waves uh, for the for the disciples, the sheen of having been called wears off when the <laughs> real life of ministry um, comes in, and and our uh, our twelve face challenges at home and um, with each other. Um, and uh, we're really excited to introduce a, a motif that I can't tell you about, but some, there's a theme <laughs> that runs through all eight episodes. Um, that we're excited for our audience to pick up on. Um, and it will be a season of uh, tragedies and some real victories. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're just so excited to, to go with our audience on this journey this season. And then uh, we have also... I wonder what that motif is going to be. I know, I know. Um, that was I'm a curious. good little like cliffhanger. Again, so you have to wait until yeah. next Friday when the uh, premiere officially happens. Mm-hmm. We also got to interview a couple of the apostles, which was a lot of fun. Uh, I got to talk to Giovanni Cairo, who plays St. Jude Thaddeus. He's a very near and dear saint to me because he's a patron saint of lost causes. Who yeah, I feel like my I daughter called... was born on his, his feast really? day. That's yeah, so October cool. 28th, yeah. Super cool. So he's a great character. And I asked him about uh, if he knew about the patron saint of you know lost causes and stuff like that and this is what he had to say about how he studied about him and also talks a little bit about the prayer he offers up you know it's it's interesting because doing research there's not a ton of research on you know thaddeus even in the gospel there's he's mentioned maybe maybe a handful of times um but i you know from the clues that i've gotten is that he's a very hard on his sleeve type of person very he uh he really embraces jesus's humility so I think that calmness and wanting people to kind of just be on that same page and wanting people to be in that state of calmness and trusting what Jesus' word is, um, I try to lean into that as much as I possibly can. But I actually do a prayer every night for, for St. Jude Thaddeus. And yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's been incredible um, to really just be a vessel for him. So, um, but I'm learning like everybody else's each season. I'm I'm trying to learn a little bit more about Thaddeus and, and hopefully relate to him as much as possible so people can connect with him. So that was really cool. I thought that was nice. Um, I think he's one of the actors that does uh, say that he is a Christian. I don't know if he's Catholic or if he's, um, but he, so that was really beautiful. I thought you got to talk to the beloved disciple, Dave, uh, St. John. John yeah. Yes. And if you remember, he had quite a fun accent. He's <laughs> Australian, Australian. He's Australian, right? yeah. which you would never guess. I I swear, Australians are the best at hiding their accent in film and television <laughs> in America. And like, their accent's so strong. It's too. so strong. And he, it's not like it's faded away for him at all, at least in my ears. So uh, the question that you had 
had asked him was the special relationship between Jesus and John, again, the beloved disciple. And so this is how he answered that. Well, we joke around a lot offset and we we actually lived in LA. We were, I was in Koreatown and he was just south of West Hollywood. So we were very, in Park La Brea. So we were very kind of close to each other when we were when we were living in Los Angeles. So we would catch up, we would get Japanese food together. Um, we would watch UK office and do impressions of Ricky Gervais and stuff. <laughs> Um, so that relationship, I think, and this is what me and Jonathan have talked about as well. Sometimes it may not be scripted that there is anything between James and John, I mean, between, uh, John and Jesus, but because we have that close affinity with each other, we used to, we got an AMC movie pass together and started watching films every week, getting the, the, the weekly free films. And so when there is a scene between Jesus and, and, and John, Jonathan and George have a little moment with each other. And so in season two, episode one, you'll see them. There's a little moment where uh, uh, in Thunder where Jesus says, maybe I should tell the parable of, you know, the lightning striking this and someone getting angry. And John's like, I get it. I was a little bit angry today when he said, I want fire to be rained down on these Samaritans. So that was probably Jonathan saying to George, like, hey, a little bit of, you know, bit of, you know, giggles and a bit of jokes. So that relationship has been really important. And it also means that in scenes where we maybe don't have a scripted moment, we actually share something between us as people, as humans. Mm -hmm. So that was George Xanthus. I don't know if I ever introduced his name. I just kept calling him the beloved disciple. Yeah. <laughs> Wasn't he wearing like a, a, a sports shirt? Yeah, or he, like a, it was a, a Liverpool. Fo I want to yeah, say it was a shirt. Liverpool uh, yeah. um, a football shirt. Yeah. Um, so that was his football club he supported. So it, It's just so acting just amazes me because, uh, first of all, he obviously he, he turns off the Australian accent when he's John because uh, no, none of the apostles had Australian <laughs> accents for sure. Amazingly. Uh, and also just that that backstory of him and Jonathan going to movies together and developing a close relationship uh, that, that that's great to know now when I see it I'm going to be thinking about the interviews and all that yeah I know it's it's extra fun we have that behind the scenes scoop of it mm -hmm. um, and I got to talk to Elizabeth Tabish who plays Mary Magdalene who has been quite a uh, big character uh, in the chosen that I think she really drew everyone in at the beginning of the series when because it starts with her story and so I just asked her if she could kind of you know highlight Mary Magdalene's journey from season one to and now going into season three so it's a little bit more of a lengthy response but I thought it was really good so here is Elizabeth Tabish talking about Mary Magdalene's journey sure I mean what a difference from season one to season three um season one yeah she we we are introduced to a woman that we don't even know is Mary in that first episode she's she goes by the name of Lilith she is um, suffering from PTSD, from trauma from her past, from grief from her childhood, and uh, she's self-medicating and, and really at a place of true despair. She is um, suicidal. She she gets up to this point where she, she almost jumps off of a cliff. And, um, you know, I think a lot of uh, audience members have related to a lot of that. Um, if not all of it, then some of it in, in this sense of the world can get you down to this point of despair and uh she's looking for hope she's but but just doesn't know where to find it you know and um the end of that first episode she you know runs into jesus <laughs> or he pursues her really and and calls her by her name he's able to see past uh her you know the image of who, who she is her personality that has been shaped by her grief and sh and shame and and fear um, and he's able to look past at the, all of that into her heart, and, and he calls her by her name. 
um, which I think is just this lovely moment. Uh, and then from there on out, she is, you know, a changed woman. Um, and in season two, they do, the writers did a, a really, um, I think, bold thing uh, in showing that she gets triggered and returns to her old ways for an episode. <laughs> Not too long, thank God. Um, but she returns just, she does, she almost forgets that, that uh, there is something else available to help her with her anxiety and fear. Um, and she returns to drinking. And, um, and then, of course, she's brought back to the camp and Jesus forgives her. And, and, but I think it, it, she has this character arc in that season um, that shows how human she still is and how human we all are and we, we will continue to make mistakes um, but that you know Jesus is a steady force and, and, and presence of constant love and forgiveness and so I think Mary throughout these seasons has been a character for a lot of audiences to, to um, identify with and, and use as an example to show all the ups and downs of life all the pain all the grief all the joy um, and just, you know, know that that through it all, you are still loved, you know? No, I said uh, a, a couple of observations. Uh, first of all, <clears throat> you know, that was how the whole thing started off was her story, it right? Was, yes. The very first scene was her yeah. as a child <laughs> and her dad. Yes. And then interesting that they would call her Lilith. They mm-hmm. were keeping her identity a little bit secret for a yes, while. Yes, they were. Uh, I, I think they're, you know amazing just storytellers uh, it's pretty interesting how many more do you have because i know just two more two just more two oh, okay more. Yes. okay I, I just um, have a lot of lot to say <laughs> <I know. laughs> so, but carry on yes 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 mary so that was a great recap of mary magdalene's story and then dave you got to talk to brandon potter who played quintus who yeah. is not a specific character in the bible but he kind of represents the roman uh, army you know yeah. the, the the soldiers and uh he was so he was he was a very intense and like he has a very strong voice he's kind of a method actor and it yeah. was yeah. really interesting to watch you interview which him. kind of fits for him because it really that's, that's fits what, for yeah. that character because he's yeah. a very intimidating character so uh the question that i chose to highlight is when you asked him about the development of that character quintus and the how he and dallas got together to kind of uh develop this character of quintus the magisterium i think is the official title magistrate magistrate uh, yeah magisterium. magisterium i really should stop speaking <laughs> <laughs> all right here we go here's brandon potter <laughs> It is, and it was definitely a collaboration. Uh, one of the most amazing things about Dallas is that he doesn't uh, enforce his vision down to the T, right? I mean, obviously, he knows what he wants, but instead of action, for example, he says, here we play, you know? And that sort of fosters a spirit of exploration and freedom and play, right? So when I auditioned for the role, he said, I don't want to do this lazy, grape-eating Roman. Can we do something else? And I said, sure, what if we make him... Re- like a workaholic, he's really good at his job. He really wants, you know, to do uh, this sort of efficient bureaucracy, you know. So we spent the whole audition playing with that, not set on anything, just playing with it. So in that sense, you can see that uh, it's a genuine collaboration. And in terms of that, like whimsy and fun, there are sometimes. If I am turning it on or doing it when it's not necessary, Dallas says, okay, okay, yeah, Brandon, but this is serious, you know? And sometimes when I am deathly ser- taking myself very seriously, I'm a very serious actor, you know? Uh, and Dallas says, Brandon, that's great. 
maybe have a little fun with this one. If you, this is actually a joke. <laughs> ah, yes, yes, of course. Yeah, so it's more like a guidepost or bumper rails or something. All right. It's got such a deep voice, mm-hmm. you know, very, yeah. very resonant, <laughs> very, voice. very resonant voice. Uh, and finally, I have a clip from the president of the chosen. In case you didn't know that there was a president of the chosen, his name is Brad Pilo, and he, uh, I think, he only came into the chosen around season two, uh, and he kind of just helps operate and make everything run smoothly. And so you asked him kind of what was the secret sauce of The Chosen because it has this great natural organic growth. It was a crowdfunded show and it still is, uh, but it grew exponentially. And so you kind of asked him what he thought, how that, why that, why it spread so fast. Mm -hmm. And so here's his answer. I think the secret of The Chosen is that it actually takes us on a journey into our own lives. What we saw with the Gen Z we call them cast, but those that were involved in that experience, was that as they watched The Chosen, they began to relate to the characters and they saw themselves in the stories. And that's happened for me as well. And as I watched it for the first time, I immediately identified with Simon Peter, who wants to keep kind of everything in control. He can solve his own problems. He doesn't really need anyone's help until he needs a miracle, right? Um, and I related to that. And I think that others, fans of the show, just viewers, are experiencing that. For so many decades, we've received the depictions of Jesus in what I'll call a prescriptive way, you know, the words, the text of the scripture. And we've never uh, been invited into a relational experience with Jesus in media. We get that in our own kind of privacy and the study of the Bible and maybe sitting at church, a sermon, you know, touches us. But to actually vicariously walk with Jesus is what The Chosen is allowing audiences to do. Well, good job pulling all that together, Cecil. Very nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that, uh, the premiere is going to be next Friday. Yes. And uh, I'm going to be going out to um, Atlanta, as I mentioned, on Tuesday. They're going to have a red carpet that evening. I'm going to get to meet a lot of the stars, maybe even the elusive Jonathan Rumi. Because, yes, he's uh, the one person we have. Well, we did interview him years ago on yeah. GRN Alive, back when he first started. But yeah. we haven't spoken to him in person and ever. he came out for the YCP event, right? He did. He was six feet from me, but I'm one of those people who will never be pushy. <laughs> he looked like he was preparing yeah. for his keynote, so I never talked right. to him. Right, okay. So hopefully, I'm sure he's going to be at the red carpet. I, I mean, think if Jesus is missing it. from the red carpet, that would be sad. Yeah, that'd be kind of weird. So. <laughs> so yeah, make sure you can go to their website and find out where you can uh, find a local theater that's going to have a showing of the first two episodes of season three. All right, great job pulling all that together. Thank and you. Uh, just a reminder, um, that was something that we mentioned at the beginning of the program. Uh, we, uh, we still have some seats for this Wednesday's taping of Living Right with Dr. Ray, a TV show across the road at the CRM Studios. Uh, Dr. Ray and his producer are coming in, and we have 75 seats in the audience. We have a few seats remaining for the Wednesday 5 o'clock taping. You'll need to get there about 45 minutes early, bring your ID, and get to watch a a live taping of a a TV show that's going to air on EW10 at a future date. So if you want to get some of those tickets, uh, we only have about 10 remaining total, then we got to close everything off. Just email kath at grnonline.com, kath at grnonline.com. Okay, so we are about to take a brief break. It's uh, 1230 now, and when we come back, we're going to talk about an event coming up next Friday. November 18th, and it is uh, sponsored by the Lewis Tolkien 
Society for the Renewal of the Common Tradition, celebrating the great tradition of the 40, at the 41st annual Lewis Tolkien Dinner. And the lecture is going to be by Dr. Jason Baxter. He's going to join us on the phone here in just a few minutes. And his talk is going to be called C.S. Lewis and the Reading of Old Books. I also have in studio with me Jim Roseman, who's the chairman of the board of the Lewis Tolkien Society, and he will join us uh, for the remainder of the program. So if you're a fan of Lewis, Tolkien, both, you just love that tradition. It's great that, you know, one of them was Protestant, one of them was Catholic. They were good friends. Uh, and obviously amazing writers and Christian men as, as well. So uh, we'll talk about this when we come back. Quick break. Uh, this is the Good News Show here on KTH 910 AM Guadalupe Radio Network. The Catholic Marketing Network, CMN, invites you to their 2022 Christmas event on December 16th through the 18th at the Hilton Anatole in Dallas. This family Christmas event features inspirational talks from Father Mike Schmitz, Chris Stefanik, family activities, including Christmas pageant, live music, fun games and activities, pictures and story time with St. Nicholas, gift shopping, and more. For information and tickets, cmnchristmas.com. That's cmnchristmas.com. Jim Tui was friend and legal counsel to Mother Teresa for 12 years before her death in 1997. 25 years later, his book about her life, To Love and Be Loved, a personal portrait of Mother Teresa, shares first-hand stories about the woman behind the saint, from how she dealt with worldly affairs to a detailed account of her death, online and in bookstores everywhere. To Love and Be Loved, a personal portrait of Mother Teresa, also available at agingwithdignity.org. That's agingwithdignity.org. Give the gift of life. The Knights of Columbus Council 764 in Bedford is hosting a blood drive in partnership with Carter Blood Care. The blood drive takes place on Saturday, November 12th from 9 a.m. to 1.30 p.m. at 1319 Brown Trail in Bedford in front of the Carter Blood Care bus. Donate blood and receive a limited edition fleece blanket while supplies last. Walk-ins are welcome upon availability, but registration is recommended. To register, visit carterbloodcare.org or call Philip at 817-975-0595. Our young people today are growing up in a largely post-Christian culture, making the task of instilling the faith in teenagers all the more difficult for parents, catechists, and youth ministers. That's why, working alongside the parishes and schools, NET Ministries helps young people to encounter the person of Christ. NET's evangelistic retreats are led by vibrant young Catholic missionaries who use peer-to-peer -peer ministry to bring God's love to retreatants. To schedule a NET retreat today, go to netusa.org forward slash schedule. Catholic Charities Dallas invites all KATH 910 AM listeners to their 25th annual Bishop's Gala, Love Works, featuring a live performance by American band Earth, Wind & Fire. The event takes place on Saturday, January 21st at the Omni Dallas Hotel with cocktails at 6 p.m. followed by a dinner at 7 p.m. Enjoy a memorable night of fellowship and fun, a gourmet dinner and cocktail hour, live entertainment, silent and live auction. For more information and to purchase tickets, visit ccdallas.org. This is Tony Beshera. My wife Chris and I own Babich & Associates. We are the oldest placement and recruitment firm in the state of Texas and proud sponsors of the Guadalupe Radio Network. We're also members of St. Thomas Aquinas in Dallas. Babich & Associates offers candidates insights into the current job market and provides professional candidates we have interviewed on a face-to-face -face basis to our employers. Our number to call is 214-823-9999 or you can find us on the web at babich, B-A-B-I-C-H, dot com. 
All right, welcome back to the Good News Show here on the Guadalupe Radio Network, KTH 910 AM. Glad you are listening. We are live on this uh, beautiful November 7th. And uh, as I mentioned before, I'm going to spend the remainder of the program on an event that's going to happen next Friday, November 18th. Uh, it is sponsored by the Lewis Tolkien Society for the Renewal of the Common Tradition. And they invite all everybody listening to go to their Lewis Tolkien dinner. They've been doing this for many, many decades. And the special lecture is called C.S. Lewis and the Reading of Old Books. Uh, Dr. Jason M. Baxter, author and teacher at Notre Dame University and the St. Thomas More Academy, is going to be the speaker. We have him on the line with us. Let me just tell you now, and then I'll re- repeat it all at the end. If you want to go to this event, you can call... Uh, or you want more information, call Dr. James Patrick, 214-350-2669, or info at org. The event is going to be at Highland Park Presbyterian Church at the Elliott Hall on University Boulevard in Dallas, okay? And you can also go to lewistalkinsociety.org and find out more information there. So joining me in studio is the chairman of the board of the Lewis Tolkien Society, Jim Roseman. And Jim sounds like this. Welcome. Thanks for being here, Jim. Thank you very much, Dave. Glad to be here. And I also uh, have on the line with me Dr. Jason uh, M. Baxter, who is, I, I mentioned, the speaker at the event next Friday. Dr. Baxter, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks, yes. Looking forward to being back in Texas. Let me just give uh, folks a little bit of a, a bio about you. I've got a lot of information here, but I won't be able to say it all. But uh, you're, uh, Dr. Baxter is a speaker, author, college professor uh, at Notre Dame, and also has taught at uh, the University of uh, Wyoming Catholic College in Lander, Wyoming, as well. And he writes on the relevance of medieval thought, literature, and art, especially as he relate to mysticism, Dante, and C.S. Lewis. His five books include A Beginner's Guide to Dante's Comedy, An Introduction to Christian Mysticism, and The Medieval Mind of C.S. Lewis. In his popular writings and lectures, Dr. Baxter ventures into the arts, travel, and literature, technology, and humanism, science, culture, and the experience of modernity all in light of ancient and medieval culture. He currently teaches great books, currently teaches great books at Notre Dame University in classical languages and literature at the St. Thomas More Academy in South Bend, Indiana. So uh, we're going to go to him in just a moment, talk mostly to him, but I do want to bring uh, Jim Roseman in for just some introductory information about the Lewis Tolkien Society in general and this event. Can you just kind of give us a little bit of information about it, uh, the purpose and mission and the event itself, and then we'll go straight to Dr. Baxter. Sure, Dave. Thank you very much. Uh, the Lewis Tolkien Society uh, is really the legacy or a legacy of the former uh, College of St. Thomas More, which was in Fort Worth, a liberal arts college. And um, since, 19, since 2015, the Lewis Tolkien Society has existed and offers a whole variety of um, uh, opportunities for people to engage in conversation about the great tradition. And in, uh, more particularly, I guess, uh, we do uh, certain things on a frequent basis. We, something on Saturdays we do called Text and Talk, uh, which is a salon organized around a challenge to re- uh, for relevant and contemporary thoughts and politics and morals and manners. And then we do courses um, by various people, including Dr. James Patrick, um, 
ranging from theology, philosophy, history, literature, the art and architecture and poetry. And so you can see from that, uh, Dr. Baxter's own background fits really well with what we normally and re- uh, regularly do. Uh, so the organization has existed for, in this current form, since 2015, but the lecture series that we're talking about on Friday, November 18th, goes back 41 years. This is the 41st uh, Lewis Token dinner. Uh, it is a fundraising dinner uh, that we have each year, and it's a very wonderful uh, dinner, and we bring in great speakers. We've had many. Peter Kreif was with us last year, and a lot of different people that, that folks on this uh, station would know. And so that's uh, some background on the Lewis Token. All right. Uh, thank you very much. And uh, let me go to uh, Dr. Jason M. Baxter as well. He will be the speaker next Friday at the CS, uh, the, the, the Lewis Tolkien Society Dinner, next Friday, November 18th. And uh, Dr. Baxter, as I read over your bio, uh, it, there's so much here that I want to kind of, obviously we want to zoom in on this event and C.S. Lewis in particular, but I'm curious about your, your mutual love of Dante and C.S. Lewis. They lived in very different time periods very different uh, men overall. Uh, well, what is the connection, and why do these two writers in particular kind of capture your interest? Yes, I love that question. Yeah, no, so I think that's in part what the book is about, uh, The Medieval Mind of C.S. Lewis, is the um, surprising reality that medieval authors like Boethius and like Dante are just beneath the surface everywhere in a modern author like C.S. Lewis. I mean, we love C.S. Lewis because he makes... He makes Christianity feel relevant in the modern age, right, that he's an astute psychologist. And so part of the surprise is just exactly how, um, how important uh, an author like Dante, a medieval author, right, who's uh, born in the, in the mid-13th century, is for, for a modern man in the age of technology and machines. But in essence, I think what, what Lewis loved Dante uh, so much for is that he thought that as moderns, we had become uh, fallen under what he called a spell of enchantment, a spell of evil enchantment, that we'd spent so much time around material realities and around sort of uh, our, our mechanistic uh, technologies that we had begun to, to, to lose a sense for spiritual realities, whereas, whereas Dante can almost come through as a kind of, <laughs> I can use the metaphor, a vaccine, or an antidote for this kind of uh, spiritual lethargy, that Dante comes with a sense of weight and fire, and he makes holiness and spiritual realities seem heavy and important and have a sense of gravity again. Well, very nice. Um, C.S. Lewis himself is a kind of a mysterious figure, I think, to a lot of Catholics. He's Catholics love him so much. He never became Catholic. He was from Northern Ireland, and that might explain a little bit about, you know, I, I don't know, what, what can you tell us about him and his faith, and also his relationship with Tolkien, because despite their differences in their faith background, those two were, men were very close to each other in friendship, weren't they? Yeah, they were. I mean, they, they kind of, you know, had different sort of cycles of friendship, and they were very close, um, and then had a, um, and and then sort of lost touch with each other, and had a sense of coldness, which uh, existed for too many years. But, you know, Lewis is, is a fascinating figure because he, he has a lot of individual Catholic uh, beliefs. I mean, he believes in something like a purgatory, and he has something like a devotion to, uh, to Our Lady. 
And I think, you know, probably most interesting of all, he has a very sacramental view of reality. Um, he has a sort of Eucharistic approach to the world. He has, you know, he reads, uh, he, he reads medieval Catholic mystical books for his, for his private devotion. So he's, he's really clear on a, on a, on a number of specifics, right? On a number of concrete points. And maybe you're right. Maybe it's just the, I mean, I have friends like this who, uh, Protestant friends who are kind are Catholic, uh, in um, many, many doctrines, but don't want to, to, to make the jump just because they're afraid of causing scandal to their, to their, their Protestant uh, brothers and sisters. So I'm wondering if something like that, if Lewis just had something just of such a huge reputation as this kind of great Protestant figure that uh, maybe it was too scandalous, or maybe that's even too presumptuous. But uh, yeah, he's, he, he's, very, he's very Catholic on a number of, of particular points, and I think that's why that's why he can be so nourishing to uh, even to Catholic audiences. Mm-hmm. I remember I asked uh, uh, Dr. Peter Kreeft one time about C.S. Lewis and him never becoming Catholic, and he said, "Well, if he did, the Protestants wouldn't have read him." So uh, <laughs> I remember that. that yeah, was that might his. be right. Yeah, yeah I, I can think of a half dozen different sort of snarky replies that I've heard uh, uh, throughout lectures in my life. <laughs> yeah, we were talking about this at the beginning of the show about uh, the unfortunate uh, death of uh, C.S. Lewis. Of course, uh, his passing was unfortunate, anyways, but the timing of it happening on the same day as uh, the horrific assassination of John F. Kennedy, which kind of buried his death, unfortunately. But uh, nevertheless, he continues to be uh, one of the extremely popular, especially for somebody who lived so long ago. Would you say that uh, he he is broadly popular to a pretty broad audience even today? Absolutely. Yeah, I I think think you're right. That is just such a, a fascinating coincidence. I mean, because it, I, in some sense, you know, it, it just shows that even in a, in a modern world of, uh, of, of Kennedys and, and modern technology that you just think about how absurd it is. An Oxford, Cambridge professor um, still matters as much as he did. I mean, he's on the, he's on the Time magazine and, uh, and, you know, the mid-20th century that this, this fellow who's just doing what Oxford, Cambridge professors have done for, for centuries now all of a sudden has this kind of national stage. So I think these things that he loved... Um, because they're eternal, were not out of date, but his talent, I think, was to be able to show that these eternal things are uh, were were urgent. Once again, were urgent even in the midst of modernity. How would you describe his writing, C.S. Lewis? Because I'm just thinking of some of the titles that come off to the, the top of my head. He he wrote in a lot of different ways. I mean, uh, the the Screw Tape Letters and Mere Christianity and the the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. A lot of different uh, the Great Divorce. Uh, just the ones that pop to the top of my head. Um, how would you describe the overall kind of theme or purpose of his writing? Yeah, so I, one of the things that excites me is this this short little essay that he did called Meditations in a Tool Shed, in which he said that he had walked into his garden shed once, and he saw this beam of sunshine coming through the cracks. And it, was, it looked like it was sort of like suspended in these dust particles. And he was looking at the beam. And then he oriented his eye so that the beam fell right on his eye. And, of course, the, the beam, quote-unquote, disappeared, and what he saw was the sky beyond. Then he rotated back out and he looked at, then he rotated back in and he looked along. I think something like that is just a, such a powerful metaphor for how we can really appreciate the whole, um, uh, the whole life of C.S. Lewis, his writerly life. There are occasions in which he's doing his scholarly stuff, which is, you know, like neglected by, by general readers. He's looking at the beam. He's writing about facts. He's, 
He's talking about intellectual history. He's doing this thing that we call the genealogies of modernity, right? What, what does it mean to be secular? Why are we modern and how did we get here? How did our ancestors differ from us? He's doing these kind of scholarly enterprises in which he's reading old books and, and describing what they meant. He's oftentimes doing it in foreign languages, etc. right? He's looking at the beam. But I think in a way, Lewis was, was such a sensitive, intuitive teacher, so in tune with his audience and his students that he always felt that this, this sort of mere accumulation of facts and information was insufficient for his audiences. He wanted everyone to feel what it felt like to believe those things. And so he rotates as a writer and he looks along the beam. And that's how I read his, uh, some of his books of his imaginative works of, you know, his, as you mentioned, his, um, his Till We Have Faces or his Narnia series or his Great Divorce. And what you can find if you, if you have the eyes to see these things, if you're sitting around reading his scholarly books like, like I was, is that these ideas are also present in the imaginative works and in some of the, the popular apologetic works. But it's as if Lewis wasn't content just to look at, but he wanted people to sort of rotate and look along because he thought these ideas were too precious just to be, um, just to be left in the nuanced halls of debates or nuanced debates in the halls of academia. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dr. James Baxter is uh, Jason Baxter. I'm sorry, is my guest, uh, author and teacher at Notre Dame University in Indiana, and also the St. Thomas More Academy. He is going to be the guest speaker at next Friday's Lewis Tolkien dinner. It's going to be at the Highland Park Presbyterian Church, Elliott Hall uh, in University Park, 7 p.m. check-in. His talk will be called C.S. Lewis and the Reading of Old Books. And Dr. Baxter, you mentioned a moment ago in your in your previous answer about his uh, reading of old books. Uh, how did this title of talk come about? Is this something that you suggested that, hey, I'd like to talk about this? And how does it tie into uh, the dinner that uh, many will experience next Friday evening? Yes. Well, I'm going to begin with this fun, um, this fun question of why it is that old books are, uh, are so difficult and so strange. Um, that is, oftentimes we begin with we begin with these noble desires. We know that we should read Dante, you know, quote unquote. Uh, Rod Dreher calls Dante the, the Mount Everest of literature, right? Hmm. Everyone at like one level or another wants to climb Everest, but then you actually start doing it and it's fatiguing, right? It's what, 25, is it 25,000 feet up and you need oxygen to get to the top. And so we, we go to these old books. We go to Boethius, we go to Dante, we go to, I don't know, Spencer or, or Homer with all these lofty aspirations, knowing that these great books in some capacity you can, nourish us and make us better, then we actually read what's there, and it's really strange. And my metaphor for this is that, you know, uh, over a couple of centuries, these small, predictable geological changes can completely rewrite landscapes. <coughs> that is where I'm from, where I have been from, out west in Wyoming, right? The wind's always blowing, it catches these little dust particles, and it's constantly, you know, chiseling away the landscape features, like a huge sandblaster on at all times. Well, a couple hundred years from now, these places that I have walked through and loved will be completely unrecognizable. Analogously, old books, which were in our ancestors' DNAs and were loved and adored by them and nourished for them over a couple hundred, you know, ce- you know, um, century or a couple centuries or you know, even millennia, have become strange and foreign to us. And so we have this problem. In some sense, we we want to feel a kind of reverence, a kind of piety toward the past. 
And then we actually turn toward it, but it's so strange. So that's what this, that's what this talk will be about is basically sort of getting, uh, getting past the, the strangeness of these old books and trying to rediscover insights that they had into beauty and holiness, which remain relevant and using C.S. Lewis's, uh, my guide, kind of like, uh, Virgil was the guide for Dante. Yeah, very good. I, I recently interviewed the superintendent of Fort Worth Schools, Brenton Smith, who I ha- y'all may know. He has a connection to yes. uh, this event. And uh, he is in the process of turning every Catholic school in the Fort Worth Diocese into a classical school. And you see that a lot also in the charter schools. And there seems to be this movement, and I just wanted to get your comment on it, Dr. Baxter, um, among both private Catholic and public, you know, charter schools to kind of return to the, the classical tradition. Do you, do you see this in education and your comments on uh, maybe people are responding to the exact kind of thing that you're talking about, the desire to immerse ourselves in, in classic and old books? Yeah, no, I, I mean, I am working out of school in part for that and also helping design some of the, um, the curriculum for this South for the school in South Bend, um, St. Thomas More Academy. And I think that's exactly what's going on. I think that in a world of uh, what one writer calls in the world of the datification of selves, right, the datification of selves, in a world of downloadable bits of kilobytes, that um, our, our lives don't seem rich and full. <coughs> and the, the wisdom of the past and its emphasis on memory its emphasis on language, its emphasis on, uh, on a careful cultivation of the imagination, I think in, in part serves an antidote for this. Because for our ancestors, knowledge um, wasn't just a mere, we think that we, we mistake information and knowledge, right? We think that because I can look something up on my phone, on my browser, then I know it. But that's just information. That's just access to, that's access to bits and pieces, if I take that and put it in my knowledge and put it in my head such that it's a permanent acquisition of mine, then I actually have a chance for that head knowledge to get down to my heart um, to become that heart knowledge. And I think in, that's, what, that's what classical education is about. And, you know, appropriate to our conversation, it's also exactly what Lewis is talking about in Abolition of Man, where he talks about the change in the educational system. They had gone from one which was chiefly concerned, as he puts it, as inculcating just sentiments, inculcating just sentiments. That is not just having sort of correct arguments or opinions in your brain, but having a deep and appropriate felt response of both morality and beauty. So I, yet again, our, uh, our dear uh, friend C.S. Lewis is prescient about these things. And, uh, you know, he kind of, Writing in the 1940s, kind of half predicted the revival of uh, of classical schools several decades later. Yes, if somebody is listening right now, and of course, I think most people who listen to this radio station will have heard of Lewis, uh, C.S. Lewis, and maybe they've never picked up a book and and read him, and they they just want to start somewhere. What would be your recommendation for the first book to read of C.S. Lewis if somebody's just starting? Yeah, that's a great question. I think well. If you have kids, you know, perhaps you've already read uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. But you can't, you can't, you know, can't do better than just reading that aloud to the kids. Um, I think uh, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader is deeply beautiful. And I think what your listeners have either experienced or will experience 
is that my wife and I have spent this number of times, while the kids are in love with the story and care for the characters and are laughing at Lewis's jokes, the parents are almost constantly choking back tears because Lewis does this thing, which he describes in his beautiful sermon, The Weight of Glory. He says that when we sometimes talk about spiritual realities, which are so close to our heart, it almost feels like we're conducting an indecency and in revealing some deeply personal, intimate secret, this longing for the eternal, which in our weird world, our world of, as I said, the datification of selves, is somehow, some way, become, um, made us feel odd. And Lewis's sort of goal is to kind of awaken what he calls the inner wound, the eternal ache. So I think, I think that's one of, been one of my most delightful experiences with my children as well, reading these stories that they love, and that they laugh at, and they're moved by. My wife and I have almost been in, in tears and sort of look at each other, sort of nod and say, yep, we're going to have to start all over again renew our efforts <laughs> in this in, in Christianity. Yeah. But So I would say those or his wonderful sermon, The Weight of Glory. And I think that, uh, I mean, maybe the single best thing that he wrote, a 10-page 10 10 page sermon, um, which I read as a teenager and I think is probably influenced, um, I, I'm just going to throw off a funny arbitrary number, 37% of, uh, of the rest of my life choices. <laughs> yeah. Uh, last question, then I want to go to uh, Jim Roseman and get more details about this event. I can just tell from this radio interview that your talk next Friday will be riveting. Uh, you're you're um, quite quite a speaker, and I enjoy very much speaking with you. Was um, I'm just curious, because I'm a fan of G.K. Chesterton, was C.S. Lewis influenced by Chesterton? Is is that true, or am I thinking of Tolkien, or, or both? What was the the, the connection with Chesterton. Yeah, he did. He, he, he was influenced by Chesterton. And, um, and he says that when he was a young atheist, and this is such a good thing, I think, for, um, for all of us to think about. When Lewis was a young atheist, you know, all fashionably <laughs> materialistic, he read Chesterton. And he said that he liked him despite himself. He was surprised at the fact that he liked Chesterton so much. And he thought about it and he realized, I liked him because of his goodness. And for me, that's always been a kind of a model just for engaging, engaging people in conversation. I always tell my students, look, you don't have to persuade anyone. Right? That's above your pay grade. Don't worry about persuasion. But what you have to do is make what you're saying so compelling, so clear, and so likable that even if your interlocutor walks away from you unpersuaded, he or she will say, oh, I wish that were true. <laughs> well said. Very nice. Uh, Dr. Jason M. Baxter will be the speaker next Friday evening, Lewis Tolkien Dinner, Friday, November 18th. His talk will be called C.S. Lewis and the Reading of Old Books. Uh, there, You can find out more information. Well, let, let me go to uh, Jim Roseman, who is the chairman of the board of the Lewis Tolkien Society. And Jim, uh, I think you've probably enjoyed hearing Dr. Baxter as much as I have during the last uh, 20 minutes or so. For those who are listening who would like to go... Uh, uh, can you give us the details of how they get tickets, maybe how much they are, and anything else that you like to throw in? Sure. Uh, the, the easiest way, well, two things. The easiest way to get tickets is to go to the lewistoken.org <clears throat> website that you mentioned earlier. And on the first homepage there, you'll see how to sign up and, uh, you know, get tickets. Uh in the event that there are people, the second thing I was going to say is in the event that there are people <clears throat> listening that will not be able to attend, <clears throat> excuse me, um, we would love for you to give uh, 
any donation you would care to give. And you can do the same thing by going to the Lewis Tolkien uh, Society dot org and uh, make a gift. And the reason I even say that is because, as I mentioned, this is our fundraiser. We don't we're not a large organization, and so we have to do this each year to try to give us the ability to continue to operate. And we're grateful for any gifts, and we'd certainly love to have the presence of anyone uh, listening. Uh, especially those who might have never considered or known anything about the Lewis Tolkien Society before. Uh, if you want to, uh, if you want to, simply send an email. For example, if you don't know, uh, you know whether you want to go or not, and you want to send an email, just send it to info at lewistolkinsociety dot org, uh, and you know request somebody to call you back. That's probably the easiest thing to do, or to the number that you mentioned for Dr. Patrick earlier. All right. So, yeah, email's probably best. Info at org. Info at org. Uh, Tolkien, of course, T-O-L-K-I-E-N, society.org. And so thank you, uh, Jim Roseman, for being in studio. Nice to meet you and make your acquaintance. Likewise. And I hope to, uh, the next week's uh, event is a great success. Again, Friday, November 18th, with uh, guest speaker Jason, Dr. Jason M. Baxter, author and teacher at Notre Dame University and the St. Thomas More Academy. And congratulations on that big football win on Saturday, by the way. <laughs> Dr. So Baxter. happy. It was my birthday present. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that was a that was a big win. So, anyways, uh, thank you, Dr. Baxter. Great speaking with you, and uh, thanks thanks for your time in the program today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. All right, and uh, that brings us to an end of the program. Thanks again to Jim Roseman, chairman of the board of the Lewis Tolkien Society, and uh, please prayerfully consider going to the event. As uh, uh, Jim said, donate, uh, even if you aren't going to the event, to this great and worthy cause. Thank you to Cecil for running the board, and uh, don't forget about all the other things that we talked about in the first half of the program, the Dr. Ray tapings this week. If you have any questions about anything that was spoken about on this program, just email 